Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. I was super excited yesterday to work out that not only is um, today's episode, episode number 40, if you don't include the introduction episode, um, so I can't believe that I've finally made 40 uh, podcast episodes, uh, but also that yesterday I looked at the downloads and we are up to 500 downloads for Not The Farmer's Wife. So thank you to everybody who listens. Um, super appreciate it. I am absolutely stoked and didn't realize how much I would love podcasting until I started doing it. Anyway, uh, one thing I was going to ask based on that whole 500 downloads is if you haven't done so already, could you go and leave me a review? I haven't asked for them before. Uh, now and that's partially because you know I wasn't sure how (laughs) how much I'd get into this podcasting thing and how much I would enjoy it and whether or not I would keep doing it but I absolutely am going to keep doing it so if you have the opportunity to leave me a review I would really appreciate it because it does push you further up the rankings uh, so that other people can find it Uh, so go and do that and if you aren't already on our newsletter definitely go and join um, Mojo Homestead for our newsletters Um, you can go to www.mojohomestead.net and backslash um, launch links Uh, and from launch links you can pick whichever download you'd like we give out a freebie for you to join the newsletter Uh, but the most common one is the backslash um, or forward slash again I never get it right Um, seven must knows which is our um, guide to backyard chicken keeping so that you can have a look and see what you need to do to keep backyard chickens. Um, And that's our most popular download. We do have a beekeeping one there as well too. If you're not at all interested in chickens or you know everything you need to know about chickens, go and get the beekeeping one. Anyway, this week, oh my God, we had a bit of a crazy week last week. We had a sick goat and that caused all kinds of issues and I felt like I just did not stop. And so I'm recording this kind of at the last minute prior to needing to you know get it all ready to go out and I keep getting this recurring theme amongst people that don't really know what I do but kind of know just a little bit of what I do um I've been called something that some people would probably assume is a really bad thing um I I don't really take it as a bad thing although there are connotations attached to it and that is being called a prepper Now, some people, as soon as they hear the word prepper, they automatically go to doomsday prepper. They automatically go to, um, I think there was a show years ago, and I'm I'm not a big TV watcher, but I can remember there being a show, and I think my brother got right into it, and it was doomsday preppers or or, um, doomsday preppers bunkers or something like that. And it was all these people who were preparing for the absolute worst thing that could happen in life. And had built, you know, underground bunkers that had their own water supply and food systems. And and they had bags and bags of dehydrated food, which if anybody's been in the military or done any kind of camping where you've taken dehydrated back, uh, food packs, uh, you will know what I mean when I say they taste like shit. Like, seriously, if you had to live on them for a, sti- uh, for a large period of time... Um, I know with my current job, I have had to go out bush um, when I was a trainer and we used to take the dehydrated packs with us and the calorie count was enough to blow you out of the water, but the food was so salty and so um, just bland, just ordinary. I don't know how anybody could live on it for any length of time. And so that that kind of vision of, you know, the doomsday prepper with a bunker that has all these, you know, weapons and has all these things for worst case scenario, I think that's what people think when they say prepper. Whereas when somebody says to me, oh, are you a prepper or you're a prepper, you would know about that kind of thing. I don't think of that. I, I know that that stereotype is there, but I don't really think of it like that. I think of it more from 
the perspective of how I really am, which is a little bit of stockpiling of food, a little bit of stockpiling of resources so that I'm not so reliant on supermarkets and um, being able to prepare and grow my own food so that I'm not reliant on supermarkets, uh, but also being able to manage things like medical emergencies, not real true emergencies where you absolutely have to have a doctor but the kind of medical emergency where you know you, you don't really need to go to a doctor and you could certainly fix it up yourself i mean the handy helper has <laughs> had to put up with me super gluing him back together rather than taking him to get stitches uh, because realistically super glue works just as well as what stitches will in some cases super glue is far better i know oj um, years ago hurt the back of his ear he fell at childcare and landed on the corner of a table and tore part of his back of his ear off and they super glued it on they called, told him it was um spider-man glue <laughs> and that made him sit still for it because it had a little bit of sting to it when it went in but um they glued it back on because they they literally couldn't stitch there was like the skin it didn't allow for stitching it was just too close together um so things like that being able to you know manage certain um, medical conditions at home is certainly something that you know saves you a trip into town <laughs> being able to you know dress a burn and and know that you can sterilize it and things like that without having to race into the doctor you know obviously serious matters with the kids I I probably am over the top I will go to the doctors if I think it is well beyond what I can manage um, but that's how I see a prepper I see a prepper as somebody who just is able to manage things a bit better themselves whether it's food medical stuff um, you know living off-grid like we do where I don't have to I'm not reliant on a power company to supply power to me that type of thing is how I see a prepper not the not the doomsday kind of side but I want to run through a few things because I get asked the question all the time are you a prepper and I have to kind of sit back and go, well, that depends. <laughs> I know everybody gets their shits when you say that. That depends, you know. But it, it's true. It does depend. And it depends on what you consider a prepper to be. Um, but, you know, it also, I think it comes down to whether or not you see a prepper as somebody who's a bit of an oddball and a bit of a not, not such a great person. And then you probably don't want to be attached to that kind of tag if that's how you see a prepper. So I'm going to go through with the things that, first of all, I'm going to start with the bad. I'm going to start with what people say about preppers that would make you go, oh, don't call me a fucking prepper. I'm not a prepper. Um, so the not so fancy glamorousy side of prepping. Uh, number one is the extremism. And that goes back to what I was saying before about that show that used to be on the, the doomsday preppers who had these underground bunkers. And some of them, I can't remember the kind of cost that they'd spent on them, but they had gone to like several hundreds of thousands of dollars to build these underground bunkers that had their own air filtration system and water supply and, and things like that. Now, they were preparing, I think, and a lot of these started you know in the 70s, I think they were preparing for a nuclear war and being able to just bunker down until everything settled and the, and you know all the chemicals kind of dissipated above ground. So that type of scenario, people see that as a, that real extremism. And, and I've got to be honest, I probably do too. I hate to say it, but if a nuclear war was that big that it wiped out that much stuff, you're probably not going to want to stay alive. You're going to probably want to just get wiped out at the time because there's going to be nothing growing above ground. So I don't know how long you intend to stay in the bunker for, but you're also going to have to deal with the fact that the only other people that are going to survive it are people that have had underground bunkers, and they may not be anywhere near you. Um, so it'd be pretty isolating, I would think. So there's pros and cons to it, but that's certainly an extremism side of it. Also, too, you know, I've seen videos and footage of people that have had these extreme... Um, pantry like food like root cellar storage systems where they have food for like up to three years and I think my god do they all that I think as a as a person who's you know dabbled in a bit of canning and a bit of stockpiling is my god what system do they use to make sure they're using the oldest cans first and that they're re-canning stuff to go to the back of the pile and bring stuff to the front I don't know it would it'd be a very complex system of use by dates I think um so that's another kind of exaggerated extremism type type view that people have. 
Um, and of course, that extremism also goes to the point of um, people who yeah, sometimes are referred to as wearing a tinfoil hat. <laughs> and the funny bit is over the last couple of years, I feel like I've shifted a little. Sometimes people say things and they go, oh, they're just, you know, conspiracy, th conspiracy theorist type people. And sometimes I look at what they're talking about and I think, oh, I actually think some of what they said has come true. Maybe they're not so, maybe they're not so crazy after all. Maybe they knew more than we did. Um, but certainly, you know, that's the view is that these people have these very out there and outlandish views about government and what's happening in the world. And therefore they're, they're extreme in their nature in that respect. Anyway, so... The second one is the isolation. Now, um, I know a lot of people have a view that people who are preppers must live completely isolated from everybody else and be like a hermit living in this log cabin out in the bush and, you know, hunting and, and fishing and trapping and, and growing their own food and never speaking or having any kind of contact with anybody else. And I don't think that's necessarily true um, certainly the groups that I'm attached to online that um, do prepping as far as food prepping uh, longer term food storage and stockpiling and things like that um, they they are very very social creatures they're very much interacting with each other a lot of them there's a couple of girls that post whenever anything is on sale in bulk quantities in certain supermarkets in australia they'll post it on there and say hey don't forget and i've seen it in america too you know if walmart's got something on special and they'll post and say hey guys don't forget this is on special so they there's certainly a community about it they're not these like isolated little groups that don't talk to each other they're very um, communicative in their own way about about the things that they share a passion about um so so there is a real support network i guess there where your neighbors like even my neighbors here we we they grow their own food we grow our own food um they at the moment don't have chickens because they a fox got into their chicken coop so they actually buy eggs off us even though they grow all their own food normally they just haven't got around to getting chickens so for the last six months they've been buying eggs off us um because you know we're right next door to each other they know that i have eggs that i sell they need eggs yeah, it's a win-win for everybody. So we do have that very much support network where they will message me and say, hey, we're almost out of eggs. You've got a cart and you can drop in the letterbox on the way past, which we do. Um, and, and even if they weren't our neighbours, I think we would probably still have that in common with them. I mean, we're lucky that we're right next to them and we, we bought a, a fence with them. But they are very much, you know, um, they helped us out when we had to um, kill one of our goats. We had to we had to dispatch him because he had a broken leg and they let us use the cool room, you know. So that type of thing, we've not had a problem with having that support network around us. Um, and certainly we are not isolated in that respect in that we go to town every day. I, I work in town, my kids go to school in town. And, you know, in a lot of cases, a lot of, a lot of people who live a proper kind of lifestyle do homeschool their own children i don't i have never i'm honestly take my hat off to people that can i am not a teacher of children i am absolutely not i can teach my kids to look after chickens and milk cows and goats and collect eggs and how to dispatch chickens and things like that but i am not a teacher of maths reading writing science i yeah i struggle with those kinds of things um so we definitely don't live that real um secluded away from town lifestyle i'm sure that if you ask my 13 year old daughter she will tell you we don't go to town anywhere near enough but we are literally in there every day um and then the next one that people really kind of put that horrible stereotype on about people who prep is the hoarder stereotype and, and that comes i think from the stockpiling you know when people um have pantries where they you know like i go to i'm i like a lot of people I shop at Costco um, Costco being an American brand and I'm sure a lot of my American listeners shop at Costco uh, but in Australia we have lots of Costco's now too and I have to be honest for some things they are just so much easier to shop at um, I buy uh, bulk amounts of um, tin tomatoes at the moment because I don't have enough jars to tin tomatoes even if I had enough tomatoes to be to be bottling them um, so tin tomatoes I just find it easier and cheaper to buy in bulk from Costco uh, things like salt I will buy in bulk from Costco flour I will buy in bulk from Costco 
rice um, pasta not so much we don't we don't have a lot of pasta and we're just going through a bit of an issue with using gluten and grains and things like that at the moment so but rice and sugar I use sugar for preserving and things like that and the handy helper cannot have his morning cup of joe without uh, a couple of spoonfuls of sugar so sugar I buy from Costco as well because I can buy it in those big bulk quantities um, cleaning products toilet paper tissues things like that are also easier for me to buy in bulk like that I do sometimes go to Aldi, which is our cheapo shop um, here in Australia. I think there's Aldi's in America too, from memory, when we're over there. And and certainly I'll buy, you know, tissues and toilet paper and things like that at Aldi because they are cheaper. And I just, if I'm buying in bulk, I just buy a couple more extra packets than what I would normally, stick them on the shelf at home, and then I do that each week and, and it builds up after a while. Um, but we don't, I wouldn't say we're hoarders. We're definitely, <laughs> sometimes I go off at the handy helper and say, I feel like he's a hoarder because I walk outside and go, oh my God, we've got like 15 tires stacked up at the side of the shed. What are we using these tires for? Um, uh, timber, bits of timber, bits of corrugated iron, things like that. I think, oh my God, we are fucking hoarders. But we're not because we, we recycle so much. We actually do use them. So even though there is a fairly fine line between being prepared and being a hoarder, I think hoarders to me, in my mind, are people that keep everything regardless of the value or use of it. Whereas preppers tend to be people who keep things that are useful and that they know they are going to use. So that's probably a little bit different. That, to me, that's the difference between the two. And we are definitely not hoarders in that respect. We use so much of the stuff that we keep. Um, and I've got to be honest, proactive stockpiling was very useful to me during the COVID pandemic. Um, I remember going to Costco and watching people fighting over um, rolls of toilet paper because nobody had toilet paper and Costco would get in their big 24 pack rolls of toilet paper and people were actually fighting over them and they'd put limits on them so you can only buy one at a time and things like that. So during that period, I definitely felt like, wow, Maybe my stockpiling did come in handy, you know, having having a, a five pack of toothpaste and, you know, 24 rolls of toilet paper and cleaning products out the wazoo, plenty of tin tomatoes and tin beans and things like that to add to meals to bulk them out. It definitely helped down the track. So when people say prepper and they say it like, oh my God, you're a hoarder, I think, no, I'm not. I'm fairly careful about what I buy and I only buy things that I know I'm going to use um now the next one's kind of it's goes back a bit to that stereotype is the stigmatization and you know don't get me wrong I've had to deal with people that have very um, radical views on things with my work uh, with my day job but um those people I think their their radical views are radical and extreme whereas I think preppers uh, tend to have a less extreme radicalization they are just people who are really really wanting to be self-sufficient and not wanting to have to rely on supermarkets and not rely on other people to get things for them so even though there is a level of you know they do things a bit different they're um they're not your average next door neighbor a prepper but they're not they, I, there shouldn't be that really stigmatization attached to it i don't think they're really that kind of person i certainly when you know being called a prepper just recently myself i don't think that i have that very radical view i don't think there's going to be a zombie apocalypse um i actually am a little bit concerned about the current situation in um in the gaza and also in the ukraine but do i think there's going to be like a nuclear war that's going to wipe out all of our you know all of our land and an area around us no i don't think that i think humans are self-destructive and they're probably going to ruin things for themselves but i don't think it's going to impact me where i live i just want to make sure that if if push comes to shove and supply chains get shut down again like they did during the pandemic then i don't have to worry about it it's not something that's going to impact me in any way shape or form and i i'd like to think that that's what most preppers are about but i have met a few <laughs> who are very radical about their views on the government and i i think that's that's a fish that's way too big to to fry <laughs> i don't think we're ever going to fix that 
long term. Um, fear mongering is another thing. Now, a lot of people think that preppers are fear mongers. They, they're walking around going, oh my God, there's going to be a zombie apocalypse. There's going to be a nuclear war. You know, um, certain countries are going to cut down supply chains so that we never get anything. Well, yes and no. I mean, zombie apocalypse, no. No, I'd like to think that despite what all modern literature, oh, excuse me, and movies, modern literature and movies that all talk about zombie, zombie apocalypses, I'd like to think that they're just fiction. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe one day. I, sometimes I walk around um, in Canberra and Civic and I look at everybody crossing the road looking at their phones and I think, well, I think the zombie apocalypse is already here because you can't get a conversation out of people these days. They're too busy looking at their phones. So maybe that's what they mean when they say zombie apocalypse. Um, but I don't think we're going to have a nuclear war that's going to cause everybody to have to live underground in a bunker. I do think that supply chains, I think given what happened during the pandemic, um, I don't think it's fear-mongering to say that supply chains can change at a moment's notice. They certainly did in the last two and a half years. Um, we certainly had a very big shift in supply chains. And I think that that unfortunately gave a lot of very extremist preppers um, the ability to go, oh, I told you so. Um, and, and they were right. They were absolutely right. So we can't really say to them, well, no, you, you got it wrong. They did get it right. Supply chains went down and we didn't get the things that we needed. The wee bit was, I could never understand this. In Australia, there's brands of toilet paper that are made in Australia. So when supply chains, when they say supply chains fell over coming from other countries where, where lots of things are made, they fell over. But, but yet in Australia, we make those products ourselves. So I'm not quite sure, sure why they weren't able to supply most of Australia with that those particular products like for example toilet paper which is made here you know there's there's companies that make it here so I don't understand where that kind of fell over um but I think a lot of preppers get the they get that fear-mongering kind of stereotype put on them when in actual fact they're in most cases oh geez I can't stop yawning this afternoon um, uh, in a lot of cases, those people um, actually refer to it more like a, a realism. They're trying to spread awareness about things like supply chains falling over, like um, shops running out of things. I mean, even Audi yesterday, I went into Audi and for like the third or fourth week in a row, they didn't have any mints. I'm like, come on, guys. I buy the two kilo pack of mints from there every week because we eat a lot of mints because it's cheap um, and we don't have our own cows yet. It, it, it's annoying that you run out of products all the time. But so the fear mongering, is it fear mongering or is it realism? Is it saying, well, you know, we'd rather just have those things and better be safe than sorry rather than uh, have to go without because we can't get a hold of that particular item. Uh, and of course, that leads into the paranoia, which a lot of people just automatically assume that a prepper must be paranoid. And I think they're right in a lot of cases. There are some preppers out there, certainly, like I say, in amongst the groups that I'm in, there are a lot of preppers. And some of them can be really paranoid. They're adamant the government is cutting us off, shutting us down. And I'm not sure that that's 100% true. But I mean, I'm also, you know, like I said before, there's things that they've said in the past that have now come to be true. And you kind of sit back and look and go, what? Fuck, they got that right. I don't know how, but they did. So, yeah. Is it paranoia or are they just being overly prepared? Um, and the last one, which always strikes me as a bit odd, is a waste of resources. <laughs> which people go, oh, these, these you know, preppers, they you know, why would you store up that much food when it's going to go off and things like that? And like I said before at the beginning, I wonder how they do it when they've got like three years supply of canning, which might be a little over the top for most of us. Um, do they have a system where they bring the cans to the front and use the oldest ones first and, and then stack new ones for that year at the back so that, yeah, so that they're not wasting food? Because that would be a real shame if they are wasting food. Um but also too it's their money they're the ones spending their own money on prepping so when people go oh it's a waste i think well yeah but it's their money it's it, that would be like them saying to you well you go out to the pub every friday night and um, spend 200 dollars on dinner drinks and slap them 50 through the pokies well that's a waste of money too 
Uh, in, in their mind, that might be a real waste of money. In your mind, that might be something that you think is actually quite valid and quite useful to you and, and you don't want to stop doing that. So, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't go to the extent that these, um, what I guess what you would call doomsday preppers, I wouldn't go to the extent that they go to. Um, but I'd like to think I'm maybe halfway, a quarter, maybe a third of the way there, where I definitely... Um, do not rely on supply chains from supermarkets. I make sure that I'm well stocked and have ways of making sure that I have food and everything here that I need without the supermarkets. So the next thing I want to talk about is the good side of prepping. And I know I've been probably fairly positive with the negatives, but they're the things that people talk about in a negative connotation. Whereas these are more the things that I see as the positive sides of prepping uh, and the sides that when somebody says to me, oh, are you a prepper? I kind of go, well, yeah, if it includes these things, yeah, bloody earth I am. Uh, so the number one thing, obviously, is self-sufficiency. So it's self-sufficiency is not about isolation and keeping yourself away from people. It's more about independence. It's about being able to um, say, no, no, I don't need to buy eggs from the supermarket because I have my own system of, of eggs being supplied to me. And as some of you would have seen on my social medias, I lime glass some eggs. So I've got 50 eggs lime glassed at the moment. So when my chooks stop laying over that, you know, really cold winter period, um, the intention is that I won't have to worry because I'm still going to have eggs. They, they're already preserved, so I'm going to have them. So that self-sufficiency is all about being able to supply your own food, manage your own affairs, do your own things without having to rely on somebody else to do it for you. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of preppers really love to be able to do. They love to be able to be very independent and, and say, no, I have autonomy from other people because I can do these things myself without relying on others. Um, and, and to me, that's a huge plus. Like I can't understand why anybody would be embarrassed or feel like that's some kind of negative connotations to it. I, I, I don't think there's anything negative about being self-sufficient. Um, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to uh, have people that you can lean on, but it's so nice to be able to do it yourself and not have to worry about, oh, you know, what if I need somebody to do this for me? No, if I need to kill a chook, I can go kill a chook on my own. I, I don't need somebody to give me meat. I can actually go and source my own food. So self-sufficiency is the big one. Um, community resilience. Now, as I said before, a lot of people think that being a prepper is very isolating, a very, you know, you're some hermit off living in a log cabin in the middle of the bush. But in actual fact, there's a lot of communities that get together and have that real community awareness and bond. Um, and and if you look on, go to any kind of Facebook page <coughs> and look for a prepper or somebody who look for prepping groups or groups that swap food sources and things like that, and you'll find that there'll be people who, you know, they might raise pigs, but they don't raise cows and they'll swap, you know, part of a, <coughs> a pig for a cow so that everybody has a nice variety of food without having to do it themselves 100%. So they do rely on their community to help out in that respect. And of course, that then forms those bonds where you have somebody that you trust, who you know, who's raising animals to the same standard that you're raising them to and is prepared to swap you, you know, like valued things uh, for things that you grow and develop yourself which means that it's not just survival. You're not just surviving, you're actually thriving because you have access to all the things you need. Um, they Certainly the groups that I'm in, you know, if somebody's got excess roosters, they'll say, I've got excess roosters, anybody want to swap me out? Um, because they may not be, as we've discussed, some people aren't able to, to butcher their own animals. And if they can't do that, having somebody else that they can go to and go, well, I'll swap you. Uh, you can have one of my roosters and I'll take six eggs off you or, you know, we probably don't need eggs if you've got chooks anyway, but take something else and uh, swap out the food for a similar valued item. Um, another one that is a, definitely a plus is emergency preparedness. Now, that's what I was talking about before about medical things. Being able to, um, just let me have a sip of tea. I keep yawning and coughing this afternoon. Shows you what kind of afternoon I've had. Um, so community resilience um, is, oh, sorry, emergency preparedness. My God, my brain is really fried. The emergency preparedness stuff is a lot to do with um, 
having a community that can all look after each other. Now, this could come down to just somebody being um, a part of a bushfire brigade where, you know, they're on call, they're volunteering, and if somebody has a fire on their property, then everybody else steps up to the plate and goes and helps out with that fire to make sure that it's right. And that's part of that community resource group. But it also comes towards um, being prepared yourself individually where you're self-sufficient, you're not relying on others. So it might be a thing like having a trailer in your backyard where you have an IBC full of water and a pump so that if you have a fire, you don't actually need to call the bushfire brigade. You can just go and manage that on your own. It also, to me, goes towards like I said about the medical issues, being able to treat certain medical concerns at home without having to go to a medical specialist, especially when it's something that is a you know, minor injury that can be dealt with at home. So being able to glue the handy helper back instead of forcing him to go in and have stitches and sit at the hospital for, for four hours waiting for it to be seen, it, to us, that's a self-sufficiency thing where we're not relying on um, public health resources, and we can manage it ourselves. So those types of things are the kinds of things that we, we try and do as well. We also, because we live out of town, we always make sure that we have enough medicine on hand that we might need. And it's not just keeping 100 Panadols in a thing. We have, you know, Mercurochrome. We have um, Burns wipes. We have um, Burns wraps because obviously, you know, having kids out here, there are accidents that are going to happen. Um, I have had to stitch up animals before without having to go to the vet so that type of thing having having um ligature i think they call them ligatures the the needles with the thread attached to the end so that you can stitch something up if you absolutely have to now i'm not advocating that you do that to another human uh, you could uh, certainly the handy helper and i've discussed it when i've had to glue him and i've said it'd probably be easier for me to stitch and we've hummed and hard about it um you know if push came to shove yeah i'd, I'd stitch up a cut for him uh, I don't think he'd be very happy about it. But but likewise, if I couldn't, if I knew I couldn't get to a doctor, I would rather somebody stitch it up for me and know that a gaping wound is at least standing a chance of repairing itself without an infection getting in or without a horrible, nasty scar or proud growth happening. Um, you know, that I, I'd rather that and go through a little bit of pain than not have it dealt with properly, not be able to get to a medical um, or a health practitioner and, and get it dealt with. Our resourcefulness, which I jokingly refer to as our superpower, uh, preppers are known for being able to adapt and work things out. And that can be everything from, you know, sorting out solar power systems or water, you know, getting water transported from one area to another, to fixing fences, to managing livestock births when you can't get a vet out. We we just manage. We do things sometimes, and and the handy helper laughs at me sometimes because because I grew up in that kind of environment of just doing it yourself. Sometimes he'll go, oh, we need to do this, but I'm not sure how we're going to do it, and I'll just go and do it. And then he stands back and kind of goes, what the fuck? Like, where did you know how to do that? Um, well, I just I don't know. I just knew. I I knew that it had to be done, and I knew that there were certain ways that would work and certain ways that wouldn't work, and I just go with the ones that work. So being resourceful and being able to fix things yourself um, is certainly something that is a prepper mindset. And, uh, you know, DIYing is the ultimate prepping is being able to DIY. And if that could be everything from building a little shelter for some animals that you, you know, to, to keep your animals safe and sound. It could be fixing a car tire. Uh, it could be fixing a fence, a gate, a water pump, a dam. But also planting your own food, preparing your own food, using, you know, we've got milk in excess all the time, so we use that to make cheese, that type of thing, DIYing everything. Um, I can make my own soap here. There's, there's a lot of things that we actually don't need to go to the shop for these days. Um, and embracing that resourcefulness as a prepper is, I guess, where people look and go, oh, well, why would you make soap? You can just buy it at the shop. And it's like, well, why would I buy it at the shop if I can just make my own soap? <laughs> um, but but not everybody sees it that way. And so when people see people doing that, they go, oh, they're a prepper, you know, in that really kind of awful tone of, you know, they do everything themselves. Like, why would they do that when it's just simpler to go and buy it from the shop? But I think part of the prepper mindset is 
that you want to be able to problem solve and fix it yourself without having to rely on others. So resourcefulness is a really big one. Um, environmental consciousness is one that I, I kind of hummed and hard about putting that down. Sustainable living is certainly something that I um, advocate and uh, I think as a pseudo prepper I want to say that I don't want to say I'm a prepper but I am I am a prepper there's no other way of putting it um uh sustainable living is obviously the key for me I want to be able to live as best I can without reliance on supermarkets government agencies um I want to be able to do it myself and know that I can feed my family clothe my family do all those things without having to go to a third party um, but sustainable versus uh self-sufficient self-sufficient is being able to kind of manage it yourself sustainable is not only making it and managing it yourself but being able to put back into the ground and put back into your environment so that you can continue to do that it's not a finite resource you are constantly improving when it comes to sustainable living and a lot of people think that if you're a sustainable living advocate that you must believe in climate change now for me that's just simply not true Having lived on the land as long as I have, I have a real issue with the whole climate change thing. I have said this before, I have no problem with the fact that humans are incredibly wasteful and we're destroying the planet because of the way that we pollute. But I don't believe that the way that we live is affecting climate change to the extent that other people do um, and certainly I believe there's a lot of misinformation about climate change out there the climate is constantly changing it goes through cyclical patterns those patterns are constantly changing themselves and and you know not there, there is a cycle to it but they are not the cycle is not perfect so there is a little bit of variation with all the cycles but I think people just get so pent up on this whole climate change thing that they think that you know and and because of the misinformation things you know phrases like oh, all the cows farting is what's killing the environment you know and the politicians that are saying this are flying empty jumbo jets halfway around the world to attend a conference about climate change and the jet fuel that's being used to fly that jet halfway around the world it wouldn't even you wouldn't even get a thousand cows putting out the same output as that one jumbo jet the jumbo jet's not nutritious it's not giving anybody back any sustenance at least those thousand cows are the most nutritionally dense food that you can get on the planet so yeah it bugs me when people say oh well preppers must be environmentally conscious no we are environmentally conscious i think in the perspective of um we we don't like polluting we don't like waste we don't like not making our environment a continually renewable resource so yeah there's no point stripping the the earth of all its nutrients to grow row cropping when we can use livestock to put nutrients back into the soil which will then produce more grass which will allow the next generation of um, livestock and ruminants to come and eat off that grass and again provide incredibly nutrition dense food so yeah purpose purpose understand i think they understand a lot more than yeah average city dweller i want to say even though that sounds really horrible it sounds like i'm saying all city dwellers have no idea that's not the case but i think people that live on the land and are sustainably living off their own parcel of land uh, have a much better understanding about the community the environment and pollution than people who don't so i'm sure i've put about half a dozen people off there but that's the way it is that's the way i see it and i think that um, certainly people that are prepping if they're living that real sustainable lifestyle then they're not taking they're not depleting from the earth they're actually promoting the good uh, the good use of recycling into the earth uh, teaching essential skills as i've mentioned a lot of um a lot of preppers uh, homeschool i don't homeschool it's i think it's very much more common in the states to homeschool than it is here in australia in australia here we have a reasonably good school system um but as i said i'm no teacher and i take my hat off to people that can do it i'm not one of them uh, my kids would die i think if i had to teach them they'd go nuts i didn't have to do it through the pandemic because i was an essential worker i wasn't allowed to stay at home i had to continue to go to work so my kids had to continue to go to school during the pandemic 
And I think they're pretty grateful for that at the end of the day. Um, but certainly being able to teach useful skills to our children, and I'm not talking about maths, English, science, I'm talking about being able to dispatch a chicken and, and disassemble it for the freezer and what you need to feed goats and how to milk a goat and how to plant you know, vegetable gardens, how to manage a beehive, those kinds of essential skills. Um, certainly I teach those to my children and I think that most preppers would be teaching those kinds of things because they understand the value of that skill set being passed on. Um, because in a lot of cases, there, there was a bit of a gap there for a lot of us. I was lucky my parents were both alternative lifestylers, so I learned a lot of those things as a teenager. But there is a gap there where a lot of people just didn't know those things and people have returned to the land years later and had to relearn those skills because they weren't passed down through family. Uh, and so family preparedness is the next one that I want to talk about, which is, um, you know, it's not just about having, you know, homeschooling and teaching your kids how to hunt and fish and that kind of thing, but also having your kids understand that there's a certain way to live and that we don't waste things and that we are, you know, sustainable in how we redo things. So we're, we're not, you know, big polluters in our family. Our rubbish that goes out of the house is quite small. Um, we use paper. I mean, the kids just know if they have paper scraps, it goes into the paper bucket next to the fireplace because when we light the fire, it's always handy to have extra spare paper. So that type of thing happens. Bottles are recycled in our house. Um, jars are recycled and reused in some cases. So the family understands what how we live and what we do. And I think because they've always lived like that, my kids don't think there's anything odd about that. They don't see it as oh, we live differently to other people. They just go, well, we recycle and we you know, grow our own food and we eat our own food off our own farm. So, yeah, for them, it's not really anything different. Uh, but but I think a lot of people, there's a lot of serious preppers, you know, our, our doomsday preppers, where their kids are hunters. They know how to shoot from an early age. They know how to prep all kinds of animals and, and how to filter water and Believe me, my kids aren't at that level. <laughs> Although the um, OJ is dead keen because he's about to turn 12 and he is dead keen to have his first go at firing a, a firearm, um, which is something I agree. I think kids should learn how to handle a firearm, uh, even though I live in Australia. And in Australia, a lot of people don't carry firearms. Um, you know, on the farm, it's a bit different because we need it for dispatching animals. So, yeah, that kind of family... We haven't gone to the extent that, that some people have gone to, um, and that's part of how I don't see us as being that real extremist kind of prepper. Um, but it's still something that in the back of my mind, I'm aware of it. I want my kids to know these things. Um, and then reducing the strain on emergency services. I kind of spoke about that before, about not having to go to hospital every time. And, and certainly not having to, you know, if, if we had a spot fire here, I would like to think that we, me and the Handy Helper, are more than capable of putting out a spot fire here without having to call on the bushfire service to come out and do that. Um, getting into to hospital when we've had crises and we've had we've only had two real emergencies, um, and one of those was um, OJ fell onto the fireplace um, with his arm and ended up with a small third degree burn in his arm. Now I would like to think that I did well by getting him to that hospital without having to call an ambulance. We could have called an ambulance, but at the end of the day, I'd run cold water over him. I'd put a clean dressing on the outside of where he was burnt. I'd given him some pain relief and I got him into the hospital, you know, within half an hour of, of the burn happening. And that was allowing for 20 minutes of the arm being under cold water. So we do manage those kinds of things ourselves. Um, I guess if you lived in town, some people would say, well, it's just as easy to call the emergency services. But I don't know about everywhere else in the world. In Canberra at the moment, you can't get an ambulance. Um, literally, unless somebody's dying, you cannot get an ambulance to your location. So being able to do those things without having to rely on them, to me, is super, super important anyway. Um, yeah, that's just my take on it. I mean, some people would just go, well, the emergency services are there for that, that purpose. And yeah, they are. But if you don't have to use them, why would you? Um, economic responsibility. Now, financial preparedness is a funny one. I've just started getting to the point where I'm now withdrawing cash a lot more often to pay for groceries and things like that. Where I can pay cash, I am paying cash. 
And that's part of the fact that, not that I'm super paranoid about the banking system falling over, but I'm a little bit worried. Certainly in Australia, and I'm assuming in lots of parts of the world at the moment, there's a huge economic downturn. And so there is a little bit of concern about which direction we're going with the banks. But I've also noticed, we I've, I was dabbling with a little bit of crypto over the last couple of years. And my bank, which is one of the major four here in Australia, has suddenly said, I can't buy crypto through my account with them, which frustrates me a little bit. It's like, oh, hang on a sec, that's my money. It's my account. If I choose to buy crypto, isn't that my choice? Which is a bit frustrating. But I think that also to coming with that economic responsibility is not just being aware of the cash situation and being aware of you know, the fact that banking, it has collapsed in the, in the past. I don't think it's going to collapse at the moment. I think that would be, overly paranoid to say it's going to collapse but I think you have to be a little bit prepared as far as ensuring that you have a cash system going so that if something did go down with the banks I mean the other day Optus the Optus network fell over and nobody could use their phones here in Australia if they're on the Optus network which was quite a few people um, so it's not to say that the banks won't fall over at some point it could potentially absolutely happen but it's also making sure that you don't owe too much I think I'm, I don't have credit cards. I've cut all my credit cards up. I follow the barefoot investor system of banking. So all my credit cards are gone, done and dusted. I don't owe anybody anything. I pay my bills as they come in. Um, I have a little bit of money set aside for emergencies and I just keep putting into that each week. And uh, I make sure that I, I'm not, I don't have to rely on anybody other than my mortgage, I have a mortgage on my farm. But other than that, I don't have anything else that I rely on anybody else for. And I do have cash coming in. Uh, and that cash comes in through me selling things off the farm. Now, I keep records of all that because I am legitimately, I keep a, a record of everything for tax purposes. Um, but I just think it's smart to be careful about those things. Um, and the last one is adaptive mindset which I really think that preppers, the big thing with somebody who, you know, other people would consider to be a prepper is that they're not just prepping in regards to thinking ahead of food and resources and whether or not they'll be able to get them. But I think it's having a mindset that's very open to new challenges. So new things coming in. Um, and certainly when the pandemic hit, I felt that I was very, um, ready for that I, not that I was not that I wanted it to happen if that makes sense but I certainly it didn't throw me I went okay well there's this thing happening the government's going to do these certain things whether or not I agree with them is completely uh, pointless it's a moot point to discuss whether or not I agreed with what the government did um, the the choices I had were I had to go to work I was emergency services so I had to go to work my kids still had to go to school but at the same time, I didn't want my kids getting sick. I didn't want them, you know, to have to go through, you know, constant colds and flus and things like that. So, yes, we wore masks. Um, we wore masks more because I didn't want to breathe in other people's air, not because I was worried about what I was breathing in or out. So we only did that when we were out in public in, oh, sorry, in enclosed environments like shops and things like that. Um, we did that. But but as soon as we got out, we were, the masks were straight off. Fresh air was much nicer than mask air. Um, but we adapted as we went. So we went, okay, they're, they're going to make us do this. We don't have a choice, so we'll just go along with it for now. Um, but we'll also make sure that we are, that we do have enough toilet paper, that we do have enough, you know, toothpaste, that, you know, we don't have to go to the doctor if we don't need to because we're then going to be surrounded by more sick people. Um, so, so we did certainly change the way we viewed things. Um, and that was part of, you know, we, we certainly got into a lot of more vegetable growing during that two-year period of COVID um, because it meant that we didn't have to rely on the shops at all. That felt good. That felt really good to be able to take that step back and go, well, you know what? Yeah, I've got to duck into the shops for this, this and this, but I've already got this growing. I've already made this. I've got the ability to get this from the next door neighbor who I'm going to swap this with. We didn't have to worry. And so, and that comes down to what I said before about the thriving, not just surviving. And I think that's a real mindset that um, people who are considered preppers have that they want to thrive. They don't just want to survive. They actually want to be really healthy and have really good quality food and not be reliant. So 
I don't know whether you consider yourself a prepper or not. I Like I say, some people have a really awful connotation with it. Like, oh my God, you're a prepper. You're a weirdo. You wear a tinfoil hat and you have conspiracy theories and things like that. But I think the modern prepper, the average modern day prepper, is that's not the case at all. They just are sick of spending a fortune. Oh, was it $10 on a lettuce during COVID? They're sick of having to rely on others just to have the basic necessities toilet paper, food, clean drinking water, power, yeah, that kind of thing. And I hope that if you do consider yourself a prepper, that you're like me, you have a bit of a laugh about it when somebody says to you, oh my God, you prep, oh, you stockpile, oh, you're one of those. I hope you have a laugh about it and don't take it too seriously and don't get shitty with the people for saying it because honestly, I think a lot of that comes from ignorance and part of it also, I think, comes from a little bit of jealousy um, because I think deep down they think, oh, no, I would never do that because I'm not that kind of person. But I think deep down they'd actually like to do that and know that they don't have to rely on others um, down the track. Anyway, that's it from me this week. I hope you've enjoyed that one. I, you know, have a good thing about the prepper thing. I, I want to go back. I want to show my kids <coughs> the Doomsday Prepper um, show that used to be on. I, I can't find it at the moment, but I'll, I'll have to go and dig it up so I can show them about the bunkers and stuff. My kids are probably thinking, great. They'd be like, that's the best cubby house ever. Anyway, that's it for me. Like I said at the beginning, <clears throat> don't forget, if you haven't given me a review yet, jump on and do a review. Um, it would really, really benefit me as far as getting my podcast out to more people. Um, if there's something you want me to discuss, by all means, DM me and say, hey, talk about this. Um, next week we're moving into the month of December and I'm going to be discussing all things to do with how to have a holiday or how to have time off from your homestead because it's something people really don't think about until they get going and then suddenly they go shit who's looking after the animals who's looking after the veggie garden who's going to do this who's going to do that so that I can go away so I'm going to run through each week all the different things that you need to think about to prepare for not being on the farm for a holiday or just being able to get away even just for a weekend uh and until next week i will leave you to it have a great week and i will see you all then bye for now thanks so much for listening today i hope you've enjoyed our time together if you did i'd be so grateful if you left me a review i would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favorite socials at either not the farmer's wife or mojo homestead And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.